You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. History podcast that's not your history class with me, your sniffling host, Katie Charlewood, terrible patient and reader of books. Uh, if I sound a little bit different, it's I'm not only hoarse, but uh, I seem to have caught the common cold, which is the first time I've ever been common in my life. No, no, that was a shit joke, that was terrible. Uh, I did my wee PCR test, it came back negative, so I do not have the COVID. I'm just sick. And I feel like I have been punched right in the face. I've got sinus headaches and it's just ugh. But you know what? I'm going to start with some good news today. Um, I came home the other day to presents. Uh, Marisa? Marissa? You know what? Uh, I'm going to say both of those names because I'm hoping one of them is the correct pronunciation. I came home to two books from my Amazon wishlist and I want to say thank you so much. I use these for research. Half the... Okay, kind of. Well, most of the books on my wishlist are for research. Some of them are just stuff that interests me, which can sometimes lead to more research, but isn't that the way it should be? Like, I was struggling to figure out what I was going to talk about this week. Like, I had no clue... Because I'm like, do I want to do something festive or do I want to save some festive stuff for later on? And are there really any interesting festive stories? And I was, you know, I was just kind of not feeling it. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. And then I came across Maria Rasputin, who I swear to God is far more interesting than her father ever was. And you're thinking, really? How can she be more interesting than the mad monk? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'll tell you. But first, I want to thank everybody who has been messaging me and DMing me and rating and reviewing five stars on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and for everyone who's been listening on Spotify, I was actually able to check my Spotify wrapped this year, like as a podcaster. And you guys, I love you. <laughs> I really do. You have no idea. How much your support really means. Oh, and if you are on my Patreon, expect bonus episodes coming next week. They're coming next week because I'm just, I'm too sick this week to do it. And also the kids, I've got my kids this week. So 
Uh, that's a next week problem. But yeah, if you if you want to support me, if you think, oh, reading and reviewing just isn't isn't enough. I need to do more. You can follow me and interact with me on social media. I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I really should do more with Facebook. And you know, some other stuff's coming. Some other stuff's coming. You can also join my Patreon, which has bonus stuff coming. There's more stuff coming soon, just because I was busy. Oh, and you're going to see some exclusive stuff. I'm very excited actually about that. And also, if you just want to send some research money, book money, <laughs> if you want to send book money, you can always send something to the PayPal, who did what now pod at gmail.com, or you can just click the link down below in the show notes. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber jabber and fact me. In fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. So we have My Father by Maria Rasputin. The Rasputin File by Edvard Radzinski. Prelude to the Revolution, The Murder of Rasputin by Ronald C. Moe. And Rasputin, The Untold Story by Joseph Fuhrman. So let's start from the beginning, shall we? Matryona... Oh, I should also apologise straight away. Um, If I pronounce things incorrectly, I am trying my best. And I would like to hopefully use the excuse of the fact that I'm all sinusy. But um, uh, please... Please don't be too mean to me. <laughs> Considering the only thing I can say in Russian is, uh, I can say dilubia, um, but I can, the only sentence I can say is tisvinya unilibija tibia. And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong anyway, so. Matryona Grigoryevna Rasputina was born on the 27th of March, 1898. Not 1899, which actually says on her tombstone, but 1898. For years they thought it was you know, a year later. But when the fall of the USSR, the Soviet Union, um, a lot of Russian records were opened up, they were unsealed, and it had her birth date. So now we know. So yeah, she was born um, in this peasant village in Siberia to Grigory Rasputin and his wife, Braskovia Fyodorovna Dubrovina. So yeah, she's from this wee village, Pokrovskoy. <laughs> I feel like I've pronounced that really wrong. In September 1910, she went to Kazan and then on to St. Petersburg. She would have been about 12-ish, 13-ish, around about that time, and changed her name from Matryona to Maria to kind of to make her upwardly mobile because her name would have been quite a, a peasanty name, to be honest, kind of peasanty, because she had social aspirations she needed to make her name more befitting that. So Maria and her wee sister Varvara, they go along with Rasputin to St. Petersburg so he can make them little ladies, you know, to give them a better chance at life, etiquette, all that jazz, all the stuff that, you know, women would have needed at that time. Cough, cough. So they were, they were refused entry to the Smolny Institute, which was like, which, fun fact, was established by Catherine the Great as a way of providing formal education for girls. So they get, well, they don't get in there. And they end up going to the Stepan Kamensky Private Prep School in 1913. So she would have been about 15-ish, I think, 14, 15, 15, that's it. So things are going all right in St. Petersburg. They're trying to climb the social ladder. Things are going not so bad. You see, in the summer of 1914, a woman believing Grigory Rasputin to be the Antichrist 
tries to assassinate him. And she did it by stabbing a knife through his abdomen. And this event, basically this attack, really ignites a change in Grigory Rasputin. And his behaviour, it's like a it's like a flip switches and like with someone like quite a lot of people who deal with trauma, he turns to alcohol. Specifically to dessert wines, which have a really fucking high alcohol content. He and the other thing that people who suffer trauma also do, he really leans into religion. So he gets well into the Russian Orthodox, like really into this faith. He learns, he like he's learning all about magnetism and its uses in the human body. And this this becomes the base, the foundation or whatever, for his like healing hands and his magic healing skills, his mysticism and shit. See, Rasputin is always known as the mad monk, but he wasn't even seen as a monk at the time. Like he was seen as a was it a steret or something? Steret? Basically like the a pilgrim thing. He was like a just a mystic, a pilgrim, a healer, not necessarily a monk. I think that's more based on attire, really. Clothing. But okay. So because he's hanging out with the Romanovs and he seems to be the only one that can cure we Alexei. So Alexei is the he's the son of the Tsar Nicholas II. And he's he's a hemophiliac and he's got like a bunch of stuff wrong with him. He like he has like shakes and other kind of stuff. And Rasputin is the only one who can like calm him the fuck down and ease him and relax him and stop his bleeding somehow. But, yep. Okay, you know what? That was pretty dismissive. No, seriously, Alexei, he had this condition called hemophilia, which was known as the royal disease because he had inherited it from Queen Victoria, who was effectively the grandmother of all the royalty in Europe. It had it pretty severe, in fairness. So to the point where he actually had two Navy officers sort of around him at all times, basically taking care of him and making sure he didn't injure himself because if he got an internal hemorrhage of any kind, it literally could be, it literally could be basically the end for him. And at one point it almost was. This very scenario happened and they thought he was going to die until Rasputin entered and basically healed him somehow. Like, the swelling went down, the fever went away, he stopped fucking screaming. Like, because there was this whole secrecy thing, Alexei's condition was very much kept stum-stum, that, you know, it wasn't really brought up. So nobody, so we don't really have records of how Rasputin managed to heal Alexei, or what exactly he was healing him from. We only have snippets here and there. So Rasputin, because of his like healing hands and shit, he becomes this fucking sensation in Russia. And because he's the only person that can really deal with Alexei, he becomes incredibly close to the Tsar and the Tsarina. Effectively, he's part of the furniture and because he is, so is his daughter Maria, who's like pretty close in age to the rest of the, the Tsars, the rest of the Romanov girls. So like Olga, Tatiana, Maria and Anastasia, they're, they're all kind of about the same age. They're all, you know, teens. Maria described them as elegant but cloistered. So, like, they, they didn't really have access to anything out with the palace walls. 
So Maria was like this fascinating beacon of information. She had all this information and she could tell them about the world and all this other like stuff that is without their blinkers on, you know? Unfortunately, this closeness with the Romanovs really created sort of a discontent. Pissed people off, to be honest. Because they assumed that this quote-unquote mad monk was whispering in the ear of the Tsar and he was influencing like matters of state and shit. Oh, and also he was like a filthy whore, (laughs) apparently. Anywho, so kill surprise. A bunch of aristocrats say fuck this for a game of soldiers and they decide to assassinate Rasputin. So this is his second assassination. Well, attempt slash slash. This is the second time someone tries to assassinate him, so which turns out to be a rather difficult task. So he gets stabbed and poisoned and shot and then thrown into a river. And it's only when he is thrown into the icy Neva River that he drowns and dies. And here's the thing, and it's Maria who has to identify the body of her father via a galosh that was stuck to the bridge from which the killer had supposedly thrown him off of. For a wee while after that, Maria and her sister Varvara, they're still staying in the palace with the Romanovs. But Empress Alexandra, the Tsarina, she couldn't really see that shit is going down. And so she gives the two young Rasputin girls 50,000 rubles and tells them to get the fuck out of Dodge. She tells them they're going to be imprisoned, shit's going down, they better just get out and save themselves. Being, you know, smart girls, they absolutely listen to what Alexandra says and they flee with the help of Boris Soloviev, who... Oh, he was a fucking arsehole because he tries to cash in on the missing Romanov thing by hiring girls to pretend to be like Anastasia. You know, like the whole the whole myth about her still being alive. The, the, the yeah, dick move. So Maria, she marries Boris and oh, I'm not going to say that. Soloviev, she marries him and they have two daughters and they who they name Tatiana and Maria. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Named after the Grand Duchesses, her friends. So they flee to Europe and, and this is all that's left for Maria in her life. She has her two daughters and she has Soloviev. Her mum and her brother, her mother and brother disappear in the, the Soviet labour camps, the fucking gulags in Siberia. And her sister dies under mysterious circumstances. So some say she like starved to death. Others say that she was poisoned. But we're not... We're not entirely sure, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at that into it again. So, in 1926, Boris Olivier dies of tuberculosis, or consumption as it would have been known back then. 
And she has to find a way to support herself and her two daughters. There's no widow's pension or shit back then. And she uses the only thing she has to her advantage. Her name. So, um, although not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination, because she's got a very famous name, which is incredibly rare in the area, she gets a job dancing in a cabaret. Because she's like, yes, money please. Because, you know, she's got fucking mouths to feed. And she ends up taking dance lessons and shit to sort of hone her performance. And she's in this act where people are dressed up as her father and his murderers and they reenact the, the murder of her dad in front of her. Like, I don't, that just seems like poor taste regardless of what era you're in. You know what I mean? Anyway, she says fuck this for a game of soldiers and literally runs away to join a circus. So yeah, she's part of a traveling circus going through Europe, basically cashing in all her chips, using her last name to her advantage. You know, basically using the Rasputin name to get as many gigs as she fucking can. And you know what? Good for her. And while she's at the circus, she trains to become a lion tamer. Now, this is very much of a, it was a different time then. She becomes a fucking sensation. And she very cleverly bills herself as performing magic over wild beasts just as her father dominated men. The other way she bills herself was the daughter of the famous mad monk whose feats in Russia astonished the world. Like, yes, use everything to your advantage. You may as well. So (laughs) when she's in the circus, when she's like doing shit with the animals, she gets asked like, are you not scared of being in a cage? To what she responds, why not? I have been in a cage with Bolsheviks. <laughs> so, the circus trip goes to America. So she's in the States, they're travelling around, and... Fuck, here's what happens. So, the circus is travelling around the US, and Maria gets mauled by a fucking bear in 1935. But even so, she stays with the circus until it gets to Miami, and then she just quits, because fair enough. And Maria, at this point, is very aware of what grumblings can lead to, of the horror of war. So by 1938, World War II is in full swing, and she's trying to get her daughters over to the States and out of Europe. But both of her daughters are denied entry to the US, and Maria is ordered to leave the country within 90 days. Customs are like, get the fuck out. Being a smart cookie that she is, Maria marries a childhood friend of hers, Gregory Bernardsky. She knew Bernardsky because he was a former member of the White Russian Army. And in a crazy random happenstance, they had bumped into each other. Even though their marriage didn't last, she was able to become a US citizen after they divorced. So yes, World War II is in full swing and she does her duty. She becomes a Riveter. Like, Rosie the Riveter? But yeah, anyway. And she stays, you know, doing factory work until about 1955, which is when, like, the Red Scare is really building. So, basically, a lot of Western countries were really terrified of communism, like, to the point where, um, like, not just communism, Marxism, Leninism, communism, socialism, the whole thing, everything. They, they put it all under one blanket, but it and as such, they were like, oh, yeah, actually. Um. And so like, they were accusing Maria Rasputin of being a communist, which really 
fucking pissed her off because it was the Bolsheviks and the whole communism thing, which is the reason that her friends were murdered, that her, that her mother and brother were killed and that she had to flee her home. This woman may have been a lot of things, but she was not a fucking communist. So Maria retires and moves to LA, surviving on social security benefits, teaching Russian and babysitting. And she did do like a couple of interviews and stuff. Um, you know, she claims to be a psychic and that, <laughs> this is glorious. She says that she's a psychic and that Betty Ford spoke to her in a dream. The other thing she does is she writes a bunch of books about her father. And that, so she says that when she was writing books, when she wrote these books about her dad, that it wasn't for her to make money, it was so she could clear her father's name. And when you read these books, you can really see that. You can see that everything is painted with pure, I don't want to say optimism, but like rose-tinted glasses. It, it really paints her father as a complete, more of a, a saint, effectively. But yeah, um, like he may not have been a magical, evil, whispery man, but um, he wasn't a saint. So when she writes her last book, Rasputin, the man behind the myth, in 77, and she, you know, she fills it with her own memories and, you know, diary entries and basically her time living in, in Russia. And in the, but lots of people just really weren't convinced they thought she was bullshitting because... Especially around this time, lots of people had been coming forward stating that they were like one of the missing Romanovs, um, usually Anastasia. But it wasn't just the Romanovs that people were pretending to be. A bunch of people came forward pretending to be the heir of Rasputin. Now, this was kind of easy to do at the time because no one was really sure how many children he had. At least now, now that all the records are unsealed, we can see them. The researchers were able to find this information. And on the 27th of September, 1977, Maria Rasputin passes away from natural causes. And so ends the story of Maria Rasputin. So what have we learned today? That sometimes the more fascinating people use everything you can to your advantage, especially if you're in a situation that has, that puts you on a lower wrong. Like, you, if you need to step up that ladder, if you need to get up those stairs, you hold on to the handrail. You do what you can. And this kind of goes for everything. You should be able to utilise all the cards in your deck. You know, and not just because... I'm not saying, like... Like, I know we have a habit of being like, oh, I don't want to ask them, or I don't want to, like... I'm really bad for that, actually. I'm really bad at promoting myself. I'm, like, fucking worst at promoting myself. Because I don't want to bother people. I feel like it's a bother. You know, I feel like it's... Like, I'm, and I need to get out of that headspace. It's like, no, you should be able to message these people you know in these positions and go, hey, want to share this? Or, hey, I have an idea for you. Do you want to do that? But I, I just don't want to be a dick. Like, if you have a skill or if you have a route that is open to you, unless you're a straight, white, rich man, in which case, use that to help other people because fuck you and your privilege. Anyway, that is what we've learned today. So it is recommendation time. And we are going to recommend we, who's we? I, I am going to recommend. Uh, listening, I think you should listen to the song Rasputin by Bonnie M. <laughs> Which um, his great grandchildren could have been dancing to that. That's all I'm saying. And um, watching 
I am I am a cheesy Christmas movie watcher. I will watch all of them all of the time. There's one on Netflix called Single All The Way. Uh, I recommend it absolutely 100%. So, uh, reading, reading wise, you know what? Read your Christmas list and if there isn't a donation to somebody on it, if you can afford it, you know, donate to something. A wee fiver or something if you have it. Donate to a charity. Donate to somebody who needs it. And I really need to blow my nose now. I'm getting really, really nasally. Um, so I'm going to wish you farewell and I shall say goodbye. Adios, au revoir, avoidazen, my friends. Bye-bye. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night.